today on Edge Effects. My understanding is that, you know, 50 to 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre in these sandy soils in Portage County leach to the groundwater. It's not a mystery why we have high nitrates here. Ground Truths, Stories from Wisconsin's Front Lines of Environmental Action is a six-episode series that highlights environmental justice issues across the diverse communities and landscapes of Wisconsin, from Milwaukee to the North Woods. In this episode, we speak to Lisa Anderson, George Kraft, and Adam Voskel about the struggle over groundwater nitrate contamination in Portage County. I'm Ben Uliano. And I'm Carly Griffith. When you picture the agricultural landscapes of America's dairyland, you may imagine rolling hills dotted with red barns, gently swaying cornfields, and grazing cattle. Many people are drawn to the rural beauty and sense of place that such landscapes offer. But living alongside agriculture, especially in agriculture that's been expanding in scale and intensity in recent decades, also presents challenges. My name is Lisa Anderson, and I'm a resident of the village of Nelsonville for a little over 20 years. Nelsonville is a small village of about 150 people in central Wisconsin. About four years ago, when Lisa Anderson was serving as the town clerk, one of her neighbors learned some alarming news. So we had a resident who found out that he had high nitrates in his well, and he started coming to village meetings, and he was concerned because we have a CAFO, a concentrated animal feeding operation, uh, just upgrading into the village. So this resident was coming to these village meetings and he was asking for help, you know, help me do something about this. I keep talking, nobody's listening. Nitrate pollution is a problem that plagues many rural communities, especially those that rely on groundwater from wells as their main source of drinking water. But what exactly is nitrate pollution? Where does it come from and what are its consequences? To learn more, I spoke to George Kraft, Emeritus Professor of Water Resources at UW-Stevens Point and State Certified Hydrologist. So let's sort of start with the basics here. What are some of the basic mechanics of nitrate pollution, how it works and how it spreads across the landscape? Okay, so I wonder how many of your listeners will know what groundwater is and maybe we should start there? That's a great idea. Okay. So groundwater is the the water under the earth's surface that we pump from wells. It is water that comes from local precipitation. So when it rains, some of the rainfall runs off, but really not that much of it. The bulk of it soaks into the ground. Uh, Plants use it, send some through their roots back up into the atmosphere. And uh, a little bit, maybe uh, 10 inches or so of the annual precipitation, seeps past the plant roots and, and gets to groundwater. Once that water is in what we call an aquifer, the geology that holds the groundwater, it flows. And so once it's underground, that water wants to get the heck out of there by getting to the nearest river and leave the watershed. So that's what groundwater is. Where the nitrate comes from is that, you know, well, the water percolating through the soil can pick up contaminants. It dissolves stuff brings it down to the groundwater with it. Nitrate uh, is a contaminant. It's dominantly from agricultural inputs, but can also be from septic systems and and lawn fertilizers. And the precipitation going, say, through a farm field or through a septic drain field 
picks up that nitrate, brings it to the, to the groundwater and transports that nitrate with the groundwater to wherever it's going. So nitrate is a chemical form of, of, of nitrogen. It's got a nitrogen atom and three oxygen atoms and a negative charge, which makes it really slippery in the, in the soil. Uh, it's something plants can use, but when it's there in excess, it bypasses the plants and becomes a groundwater contaminant. Lisa Anderson keeps up with the latest research on what the consequences of all that excess nitrogen are for the people who ingest it. So why is nitrate pollution a problem? I know health consequences broadly are what I think most people know, but what are those health consequences specifically? So the one that everybody thinks of with nitrates is this blue baby syndrome, but that's actually very rare now because I think the state health department has been good at getting the message out about pregnant women not drinking water with high nitrates. But aside from that, it's associated with thyroid diseases, cancers, and neurotubal disorders like spina bifida. This has been known for some time that high nitrates are associated with those diseases. There's been information out there for a while. I only more recently learned about it. So like with a risk of bladder cancer, your risk goes up almost three times with nitrate levels at as low as 2.5 parts per million for 20 years. So low levels over a long time, three times the risk. It goes up one and a half times at nitrate levels of about five parts per million for as little as four years. So people really need to be aware of that risk over a short amount of time at what people consider a safe limit. You know, 10 is the limit. And so they think no problem if it's five. The risk of ovarian cancer goes up two times at levels of 2.8 parts per million for the long term over 20 years. It goes up twice as much as, you know, if you had healthy, safe drinking water at levels of just three parts per million over 11 years. So at what people consider safe, 11 years, you're getting twice the risk of ovarian cancer. The last one is thyroid cancer. Your risk goes up two and a half times at six parts per million for five years or more. So these are amounts that are much below that EPA standard. And I'm concerned that people aren't getting the message because that EPA limit is 10 parts per million. That was set in 1962 because of the blue baby syndrome and it has not been revisited, and it should. One of my concerns is just how people just don't know about this problem. And, you know, it does seem like we have a high incidence of various cancers and thyroid disease in the village. I myself got a thyroid disease four years after we moved here. Not long ago, I met a midwife from this area, and she has a practice near here. And she said that it was common knowledge in her practice that Nelsonville had five times the miscarriage rate as surrounding areas. So, you know, it's hard to prove this stuff without having a study, but we know the risk is there. We know the disease is there. In addition to these impacts on human health, George also highlighted some ecological consequences of nitrate pollution. 
in terms of the ecological impacts, you know, that there's eutrophication. Mostly we think about in freshwater systems, it's phosphorus. But, you know, I've seen some people that are saying, wow, a lot of what we're seeing is also due to nitrogen. And of course, all the nitrogen coming out of the Midwest, going down the Mississippi is causing the dead zone of the Gulf of Mexico here. It just doesn't stop. While Portage County, where Nelsonville is located, has some of the highest rates of nitrogen over-application in Wisconsin, the problem is widespread. A report published in February by the Environmental Working Group and Midwest Environmental Advocates found that in eight out of nine Wisconsin counties analyzed, estimated nitrogen application from manure and chemical fertilizer exceeded recommended university rates. In five out of nine counties, this excess was greater than 50%. As George Kraft mentioned, nitrate can come from a range of sources, including leaky septic systems and lawn fertilizers. But in rural landscapes, the vast majority of nitrate comes from agricultural land management practices. Here's George again. The nitrate from agriculture comes from three different places. It comes from chemical fertilizer, it comes from manure, and it comes from fixed nitrogen uh, on, say, alfalfa plants and other other legumes. Again, uh, nitrogen is a central nutrient for plants, but it's when all of it doesn't get absorbed by plant roots that we got a problem. It gets past there, gets into the groundwater and becomes a contaminant where it has health and ecological effects. Are those the main sources in Portage County, those agricultural inputs that you just mentioned? Uh, Yes. In Portage County, about 95% of the nitrate in groundwater comes from agriculture, and almost all the wells that have nitrate in them over the drinking water standard are from agricultural sources. The remainder are from septic systems. And, you know, when we have septic systems on small lots, uh, say half acre, quarter acre, things like that, we're setting ourselves up for too much nitrate to get to groundwater. But we get to larger, you know, one, two acre, five acre lots, it's really no longer a hazard. In Portage County, most nitrate pollution comes from chemical fertilizer on row crops used for animal feed. In the Nelsonville case, one particular farm has come under scrutiny. Gordondale Farms is a concentrated animal feeding operation, or CAFO, housing about 2,500 dairy cows. All of those animals require lots of nitrogen-hungry crops and produce lots of manure. Here's Lisa Anderson. This has always been a family farm. It grew... You know, now it houses about 2,300 animal units, as they are called, that are kept in a barn. But the real problem is the land spreading of manure and the use of nitrogen. You know, there are fields in the village's recharge zone that have had continuous corn and lots of nitrogen and irrigation added, which allows them to use even more nitrogen. If you could wave a magic wand and say, these are the farming practices that you should use in order to protect our waters, what would you like to see? What we are asking for is different land management practices on the fields that impact our wells. So that would mean not doing continuous corn, which there are a number of fields in our recharge zone where it is continuous corn and 200 pounds of nitrogen per acre you know, in some cases, 10 years in a row without rotating those crops. So what we want is for water quality to be a requirement of decisions 
about what practices to use and how much nitrogen to use. And right now it's not. The amount of nitrogen is determined by UW recommendations that were made some time ago. And so those recommendations are based on profitability for the farm and do not consider water quality at all. That needs to change. You just absolutely should not be able to contaminate people's drinking water. So change the land management practices, use a lot less nitrogen. My understanding is that, you know, 50 to 100 pounds of nitrogen per acre in these sandy soils in Portage County leach to the groundwater. It's not a mystery why we have high nitrates here. Do you know or think whether people even follow those UW recommendations? Because I know in, in some other instances, there's university set recommendations, but farmers like insurance, they're like, well, just to be safe, I'll put some more on. So I don't know if you have any sense of whether that's happening. So what I know about this CAFO, I've looked at their SNAP Plus data, and they report that they're using 180 to 200, 215 pounds per acre on some of these fields. So that is what the limit is. Now, this is all self-reported. We have no idea if they're sticking to that or not. There's just absolutely no way to have any accountability without being able to assess what the problem is. You have to define the problem in order to solve the problem. Even if farmers are accurately reporting their nitrogen application rates and following university recommendations, George Kraft points out that those recommended rates are themselves influenced by agribusiness. Ag researchers, when they're a new hybrid, a new crop, whatever, comes along, they want to know what is the best rate to fertilize at. The best rate from agronomic purposes is how much do you put on to maximize your profit? And after that point, the extra fertilizer is costing you more than the extra yield you're getting out. And so we can imagine there'll be a plot someplace like that, an experimental farm, and they'll divide this up in little squares and they'll put 20 pounds per acre, maybe 50 and 100 and 200 and 300, and they make themselves a curve. Uh, Say, well, right there is is where we're going to get the maximum profit. Uh, That becomes the university recommendation. And that's what, you know, pretty much what DNR is building into their permit system. And really, you know, when researchers are making these curves, and this goes back a long time, they've never worried about, well, what happens to the extra nitrogen? Because the more you put on, the less efficient the plants are at picking up that nitrogen. It's like chasing it around the last Cheerio in the bottom of a bowl, if you could think about it that way. Uh, you know, ag researchers must have noticed this, but they never worried about the fate of the, the nitrogen that wasn't getting sucked up by plants. Back in my day at the soils department, researchers there, well, what happens to that nitrogen is somebody else's problem. My problem is to uh, help farmers make the biggest profit. It wasn't very integrated thinking, but that thinking persists to this day with uh, ag researchers that they get paid by the people of Wisconsin to serve all the people of Wisconsin, but some of them are more or less captured by industry and they give talks to groups when they're supposed to be talking about nitrogen. They talk about how the industry are swell people and good to the economy and, and all of that. And, you know, people in the audience that have polluted water, they're kind of left there. Well, you know, what about me? So that's, you know, that's been the, 
the role of the university. There's been politics around this, not just with nitrate, but with groundwater pumping and with pesticides where university administration has come down on uh, scientists who have blue whistles on this. And that list of scientists includes me. Industry pressure for more input-intensive production of crop monocultures, shortening or elimination of crop rotations, larger herd and field sizes, and lack of support for alternative practices like managed grazing all contribute to agricultural pollution problems. These are large, structural issues that don't have easy solutions. In the short term, regulation and monitoring are the tools at the disposal of communities demanding clean drinking water. The Nelsonville efforts began in 2018, and in 2020, they reached out to Midwest Environmental Advocates, or MEA for short, for their expertise. I asked Lisa about the decision to work with the organization. So am I correct that you're connected with Midwest Environmental Advocates as well? Yes. So could you tell me a little bit about how your work with them started? Sure. When the CAFO near us was up for renewal of this permit, we all went to a public hearing and we were trying to get the DNR to do something about our problem. We wanted them to put monitoring wells at the farm. So we have some county staff that also made that recommendation, our Portage County water specialist and the health and human services person. So they made a recommendation that we have some monitoring wells. So then as of April of 2020, they were still going to require monitoring wells. I, I know this because I've seen emails behind the scenes since. So they were going to require it. But then the farmer talked to them and was hoping to negotiate, you know, saying that he was afraid this would put him out of business or something. And uh, so they had a hydrogeologist come out and they wrote up a final determination against requiring monitoring wells at the time based on that this is a regional problem and can't be addressed just with this one farm. So MEA got involved at that point, and that's uh, September of 2020, and filed a petition. There are five of us that are co-petitioners, plus Clean Wisconsin is a co-petitioner, where we are asking the DNR to reconsider their final determination. And we actually want monitoring wells, upgradient and downgradient of some fields that are in our recharge zone. Agricultural pollution is notoriously difficult to regulate, but a 2021 decision by the Wisconsin State Supreme Court offers a glimmer of hope. To learn more about the shifting legal landscape, I spoke with Adam Voskol, a staff attorney at MEA and co-author of their recent report with the Environmental Working Group about nitrate pollution in Wisconsin. Could you sort of summarize the summer decision from the state Supreme Court and how it relates to this case? Sure. So the state Supreme Court decision, Clean Wisconsin v. DNR, related to a different CAFO, Kennard Farms in Kiwani, and the litigation in that case began in 2012, I want to say, almost a decade ago by the time when it was decided. And that case largely focused around the authorities that the DNR had and what terms they could include in a Wisconsin Pollution Discharge Elimination System, or WIPDES, permit. Those permits are given to industrial dischargers, basically 
people that need to be permitted under the Clean Water Act because they discharge to waters of the United States or in Wisconsin's instance, waters of the state, which includes groundwater. And so the case worked its way up from a contested case hearing in front of an administrative law judge through the state courts via appeals processes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in the spring of 2021, my colleague, Andrea Gillat engaged in oral argument in front of the Supreme Court, uh, noting that the DNR did have the authority under our state laws to include certain terms in those clean water permits, namely, at least as it related to the Kennard Farms decision, the authority to include groundwater monitoring at land spreading fields. So where the CAFO spreads the, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of gallons of liquid manure and processed wastewater, the fields that it spreads that waste on, and then also the authority to include an animal unit limit, um, basically capping the size that a CAFO can grow to. And in that oral argument and in the decision, the Supreme Court looked at a lot of different factors, whether it be susceptibility to groundwater contamination the spreading practices that were being used on fields, the inability to comply with past permit conditions, which for Kennard related to the failure to include markers to show when a certain threshold of volume was met for how much manure they were storing. Basically, a, a whole bunch of different factors, and they reviewed all of them and said, yes, the DNR has the authority to include those terms in the permit and make the CAFO comply with them to ensure that the state water standards are being met, both groundwater and surface water. And the result of that decision wasn't just focused on Kennard Farms. It is now being played out in a number of CAFOs around the state, whether it be Pinnacle Dairy or Richfield Dairy or Kennard Farms, or now here at Gordondale in Portage County, where residents, neighbors, people that live in the community are have been asking for DNR to include those permit terms for years. And now that the Supreme Court has affirmed that authority, albeit we're about a year from that decision, we're starting to see the implementation of that authority into CAFO permits from around the state. After the state Supreme Court affirmed the DNR's authority to address groundwater quality in their permit terms, Lisa and other Nelsonville residents were optimistic that the DNR would include the monitoring wells requirement in the Gordondale Farms permit reauthorization. So in July of 2021, that case came out favorably for our interests, which was that the DNR has the ability and authority to require monitoring wells on land spreading fields. So we've been waiting since then. By our agreement, the DNR had six months to come back and you know reconsider what it had recommended in the past. So actually, as of yesterday, we got news that they are going to make that requirement, at least on one field. We're far away from actually having this done. There's going to be a public hearing. And so we hope that a lot of people will chime in and let the DNR know that this is important for protecting our groundwater. And chime in they did. I attended that public hearing, held virtually on Zoom, in May. Good morning and welcome to today's hearing um, on the proposed permit modification for Gordondale Farms. The purpose of this hearing is for the DNR to receive comments on proposed modifications to Gordondale Farms existing WPDES permit prior to a final decision being made. 
Nearly 50 people attended the hearing, and 10 stakeholders, including Lisa Anderson, provided public comments in support of requiring Gordondale Farms to install monitoring wells for reauthorization of their permit. Uh, good day. My name is Dr. David A. Bellick. This is Mark Brueggemann. My name is Amberly Schwartz. My name is Marianne Walker. Hello. My name is Dave Mangan. This is Tor Anderson. Pete Arnson. Hi. My name is Katie Bailey. This is Dr. Ray Reeser. Hi. My name is Lisa Anderson. I live in Nelsonville, Wisconsin. It's been four years since Nelsonville residents began pleading with the DNR to require transparency and accountability from Gordondale Farms as part of the renewal of their WIPDES permit. Everything in my statement in 2018 is still true today. There is no transparency since all plans and actions of the NMP are self-reported, and there is no accountability since there are no monitoring wells to show the impacts of land management practices in the village's recharge zone. I moved in 2014 with my pregnant wife and year-old son, and at that time, our nitrate levels were about six parts per million in our well. By 2018, we were at 21 parts per million. In the time we've lived here, our nitrates have gone from just above 10 to 26 parts per million. By any health standards, it is unsafe to drink, therefore endangering our lives and the lives of our pets. In the last decade, we have experienced several health issues that are, have been associated with high nitrates in an otherwise young, healthy family. We've seen rare forms of cancer in my pets, a late-term miscarriage in October of 2019, and ongoing thyroid issues. Everyone in my household is affected with hypothyroidism. That is myself, my husband, my 16-month-old son, and my dog. The health consequences are real, and they are happening right now. We are, I think, rightfully expecting the DNR to fulfill its mandate and insisting the local CAFO install a number of monitoring wells located to gather the most accurate information on the CAFO's influence on groundwater and the management of the recharge zones for our aquifer. Just one person, a farmer from a neighboring dairy operation, spoke out against the DNR permit modification. So yeah, I just want to state that I oppose the monitoring wells. DNR chooses the the most expensive options, uh, not working with the farm. You know, we've we've spent over half a million dollars on repairing some some things, and monitoring wells are continued to be high. They the nitrates are high coming into our facility and they are high going out of our facility, but they continue to make million dollar decisions. And that is on the brink of putting us out of business. You know, sand is very highly permeable. Um, so highly permeable with shallow wells um, just, just doesn't work well. And, and there's, there's lots of other farms that could be the issue or septics uh, that have been failing. But since there's monitoring wells on the facility uh, that are testing high, uh, they are the ones that get chosen and have to make those business ending decisions. So that's all I have. Others counter that installing monitoring wells and changing management practices to ensure safe drinking water is just the cost of doing business. It's overhead, just like paying for insurance or paying an accountant. It's just a part of what's needed to effectively manage the business. And it is such a tiny percentage of their operating budget. 
Their annual operating budgets of salary, land rentals, fuel is enormous compared to the small cost of monitoring wells. Yes, $50,000 sounds like a big number and they try to sensational, sensationalize it for pity. But let's be honest, they pay that kind of expense regularly for stuff all the time. That's all part of running a business. Take for instance, public statements the CAFO has made that they have spent $60,000 in legal fees fighting this. Obviously that figure does not cause them the kind of pain they would like you to believe it does. We could be done with this already for that amount of money if they had spent it on monitoring wells and trying to solve the problem. Lisa is clear that being pro-clean water doesn't mean being anti-farmer. You know, I don't think all farmers do this. We had another farmer, he did rotational grazing with his herd and it was a much smaller herd. And he only had 40 acres in our recharge zone that he even planted. And he did corn, I think like every fourth year or something like that. And he wasn't applying, even when he was applying nitrogen, um, I can't remember the amount, but it was like 30 or 40 pounds per acre. So it was nothing compared to what we're seeing with this factory farm. While a final decision from the DNR is still forthcoming at the time of this recording, community members are hopeful. After nearly four years, it seems like all of their efforts navigating the complex state regulatory system are paying off. At the end of my conversation with Adam Voskel, I asked him to make a pitch for why Wisconsin residents should care about what can seem like a very slow, bureaucratic, drawn-out administrative process. For things like showing up for a public hearing or looking into what the terms of permits are for CAFOs in your county or just being involved in some of these, this citizen action like we really saw from people in Nelsonville. Why do you think it matters and why should people pay attention? Sure. So I guess I would start and say, you know, it's made bureaucratic or challenging or difficult to understand intentionally. It can occasionally feel like it's a significant burden or a hurdle just to kind of understand all of this. And that's, you know, coming from an attorney who, who works in this a lot. And so I think once you get that, that base level knowledge or, you know, you work with MEA or community advocates around the state, you understand kind of that the opportunities are there, but it requires a lot of community engagement. It requires people being willing to call their legislators or DNR staff or show up at those hearings and advocate for whether it be these permit terms or, or different permit terms, or maybe it's not even a permit. Maybe it's engaging in local decision-making and ordinance drafting and passing. And, and I think getting up to speed on it and learning where you can make that change is really valuable because agricultural caused contamination in and around the state, particularly in rural areas that rely on private drinking water is pervasive. It's one of the biggest causes of groundwater contamination in the state, particularly nitrate contamination. And if you can advocate for more monitoring, more, more studies, you can start attributing what activities or what fields are causing this contamination. And, you know, that's when DNR can take the next step and order changes in that activity itself. As it, as it relates to the, the length of time, it's one of those things, it's like every baby step is, is hard fought or every non-baby step, every significant step is hard fought. But you see something like the fight that happened and is continuing to happen in Kiwani, 
and you realize just the ripple effect that it is having across the rest of the state. You know, we saw people in southwest Wisconsin in Crawford County calling for the inclusion of these permit terms. We, we see in the central sands in, in Nelsonville for Gordondale Farms, people calling for these terms in, in south central Wisconsin for Pinnacle. It shows just the value of one community taking that step, becoming experts, albeit I'll say they, you know, these communities shouldn't be forced to become experts on a lot of these decisions, but but they do. And the result of that is some changes in their community and hope for a lot of other communities that are experiencing similar contamination problems. And then from that, you can start working on the next series of changes. I don't have an answer to what that is. We're only a year past the, the Kinder decision, but you know, you can start looking at what's the next fight? What's the next permit term that needs to be included in these permits to be more protective? And so all of that kind of starts with, unfortunately, self-education uh, to, to really get up to speed, community networking, community advocacy, and then leaning on experts or organizations to assist you and get the word out and kind of keep that fight up. I also asked Lisa Anderson for any takeaways she had as someone at the forefront of the efforts in Nelsonville. What would your advice be to other people, perhaps in other communities that are trying to draw attention to or organize on this issue? Or what are things that you've learned over the past four years that you think could be helpful to pass along? You know, I, I kind of think that it's been hard to get past this need to be nice. You know, I'm not this person who's in your face or even, you know, likes conflict or anything like that. And, you know, just really realizing that we've been playing by the rules, working through the system, and, and we've had a lot of ag interests working against us and putting out disinformation. And we work really hard on sticking to factual information, but it's just not getting out there. I think that we're learning that we have to stop being nice. I mean, for instance, I started sending emails describing our problems to the entire county board and other interested parties because most of the county board wasn't even finding out about the issues. The issues weren't getting out of the ag-controlled committees. So that goes, you know, against the way I would normally operate, <laughs> you know, I tried to work with consensus and, you know, and I don't want to hurt anyone, but I, I'm going outside of my comfort zone for sure and trying to get other people involved. And so, I, you know, I think that we are starting to reach out to people who have maybe more expertise and, you know, using social media. And so we are just now having a group Outside of Nelsonville, we still have our Nelsonville effort, but we're putting together a group where people have expertise in other areas. And our goal is to get the word out and to change a conversation. You know, at one time, drunk driving was acceptable, hard to believe now, but it took a movement from Mothers Against Drunk Drivers to change the narrative. And then drunk driving became unacceptable in society. And it kind of seems like that's what has to happen here. That was Lisa Anderson, George Kraft, and Adam Voskel. Lisa Anderson is a former town clerk, current resident, and clean water advocate in the village of Nelsonville, Wisconsin. 
George Kraft is Emeritus Professor of Water Resources at UW-Stevens Point and a state-certified hydrologist. Adam Voskel is a staff attorney with Midwest Environmental Advocates and co-author of the report, Double Trouble, Wisconsin's land and water are inundated with pollution from animal manure and excess farm fertilizer. You've been listening to the podcast series, Ground Truths, stories from Wisconsin's front lines of environmental action. This series is produced by EdgeFX, a digital magazine out of the Center for Culture, History, and Environment in the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This series is funded in part by a grant from Wisconsin Humanities, with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this project do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. This episode was produced by Carly Griffith and me, Ben Uliano. The music you're hearing is by Wolfman Summit. You can get all of our episodes sent straight to your computer or mobile device by subscribing to EdgeFX wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review or tell a friend about it. That really helps connect us with new listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at EdgeFXMag. And as always, keep up with the steady flow of great content about cultural and environmental change across the full sweep of human history at edgefx.net. <laughs>